man, I feel like we just had church in the announcement slot. I mean, we should take an offering, pray, and go home. That was, that was powerful. Um, have you ever had, you ever had a situation in life you wish you could start all over? <laughs> Eight of us. That's fantastic. Uh, I got two that come to mind. The first one was this morning. Um, on, on Sunday mornings, I like to wake up early and just have a couple minutes before the kids and my spouse and, you know, just, ah, God is so good, right? A cup of coffee and just, yeah, we got church day. It's going to be amazing. And um, this Sunday was not that. And uh, my little guy woke up super early, and so uh, we're discombobulated. It's 5.30 in the morning, so we go get him. Um, I like to sit down and have a cup of coffee. Sometimes my wife joins me. She did. Our little guy, Nixon, was there, and um, we're both drinking our coffee, and he went and knocked her coffee mug, and that spilled all over uh, the white blanket um, that we have. So we had that, and now you throw that in the washer. So now I'm doing laundry in the morning. Last night, I forgot my glasses. I think, I think at my in-laws, so Mike and Barb, if you're watching, just send me a text or something. I'd love to get those. But I thought, no worries. I've got my sunglasses in the car. Those are prescription as well. We're great. Got in the car this morning. Sun's beating in my eyes. We reached for my sunglasses, and they're not there. So that was fun. Then I got in my car and I went, well, I just got to get to church and we'll just pray this thing out and shake the bugs out and get right with the Lord and say, all right, here we go. We're going to preach a message. It's going to be a good one this morning. And I'm driving over here and there's this big tractor trailer thing hauling a house down the center of uh, two lanes so you can't pass. So we're cruising at 25 miles an hour. And I started to get uh, what I like to call uh, frustrated and inconvenienced. My wife says I have my grumpy pants on. Uh, have you ever been grumpy on your way to church on Sunday morning? It happened to me once. Have you ever wanted to start something over? My wife and I have this unfortunate tradition. Anytime we go to celebrate something significant in our life or in our marriage, um, we usually have a bad experience. I don't know how else to put it. We usually have a bad experience. And, um, it started back, I think at this point, uh, we were celebrating our one year dating anniversary, right? Not our marriage, but our dating anniversary. So we're talking to friends. How do we do this right? How do we celebrate this and make it great? Because we're both very poor college students at the time. So what do we do? So we got a friend and she says, Hey, you need to go to downtown Disney. There's a restaurant there and it's Italian place. It's wonderful. And then when you're done, you've got Disneyland passes. So just walk around to Disneyland and hold hands and fireworks and stars. You you can't lose. Awesome. Let's go. So I call, I make reservations, right? We get there. I put my name in. Hey, you know, Steve Osborne, that's my name. We called, I called yesterday. I got a reservation at 630 and they said, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be a couple minutes. 45 minutes later, we are seated at our table that I reserved with a decent view of downtown, downtown Disney. Um, that was not the table that I got. I got the table, the small itty bitty table that they crammed next to the restrooms. That was my table. So I thought, okay, well, here we go. Buckle up. You know, and we're like a year in, so we're kind of comfortable with each other. But I'm trying to like impress my wife here, or not wife, but soon to be wife, right? I knew. And so I'm trying everything here. And then the waiter comes. They say, hey, you know what? We'll be with you in a second. I need to go cover this other table because so-and-so took a break. Okay. And then 10 minutes later, another waiter comes. So they're shuffling waiters and they're forgetting our table in the corner. This is not going well. I wish I could start this whole date all over again. Finally, we get our food. Another 45 minutes from where we uh, sat down and put in the order to when we get our food. Our food is cold. This is my one year dating anniversary. Come on! The food is cold. Finally, after the third or fourth waiter comes, can I just get the check, right? 
another 45 minutes between me handing them my card and them actually coming back with it. Seems like they lost my card. How do you do that? That's your business. You're supposed to keep track of cards. They lost my card. They finally found it. They give it to me. I won't tell you what I wrote on the receipt, but I wrote something on the receipt. Gave it back to them, and then we left. And by the end of that experience, our one-year dating anniversary, we walked outside in downtown Disney and went, let's just go home. (laughs) Have you been there? Have you ever had one of those situations? You're like, man, I wish I could just start this whole thing over. Maybe for you, I, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe for you is your finances, right? You're further along in life and you thought, man, if I just, if I could do my finances over, I would invest earlier or I wouldn't have bought this or I would have avoided debt. Maybe it's a relationship. I would have certainly, instead of even starting this one, I would have bypassed it altogether. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your education with college or whatever it is. But I started thinking through this list, man, if I could start life over, what would I do? Because anytime I have a bad day, I don't know if you're like me, but anytime I have a bad day or a bad morning, I simply want to just roll over and go back to sleep. And I want to wake up and want to try all over again. And we're in this series called Jesus for Everyone. And I've talked to some of you, I've examined my own life and even lives at other churches. And I, I just get this sense from people that they started following Jesus. And then somewhere along the way, like it went south. They didn't have a great start. They didn't start strong. They just kind of Some people kind of fell into it. Some people kind of stumbled into it. They weren't really sure what they were giving their life to or what it was supposed to look like. So they they started, which is amazing. Please don't misunderstand me. That's amazing. But it wasn't a great start. And I just started thinking through my own life and my own relationship with Jesus. And I thought, man, if I could start this whole thing over, not that I need to, right? Because his grace abounds. It's good. We're, We're good. But if I could, and if you could, what would it look like? Would you be more disciplined? Would you, would you read your Bible more? Would you spend more time in prayer? Would, would, you, would you be more generous? If you could start this whole thing over, what, you online, what, what would you do? And I started thinking about this whole idea of following Jesus in the series called Jesus for Everyone. We want everyone to start. So how do we start? Well, and for many of us, If we could, just play along with me, if we could start again, what would we do? How would we begin? And so we're going to spend our time this morning in the Gospel of Luke. It'll be Luke chapter 5. And we're going to talk about this idea of, well, we're just going to look at someone who started. And he's probably the least likely of all people to go and start. Like if you were going to pick a team, if you were going to pick Jesus' disciples, you wouldn't pick this guy. You wouldn't pick any of the guys Jesus picked, but certainly this guy. So Luke chapter five, if you got a Bible turn there, you can use your table of contents. That's probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. It'll, it'll help you find it. Especially if you're new to this thing, Luke chapter five, verse 27, and we'll pick it up there. Jesus is on the scene, right? We're five chapters into Luke. Uh, he's already called a couple disciples, right? Peter, James, and John, uh, they were fishing and he said, hey, you need to come follow me. They drop their nets and they leave their business, their livelihood, and they go and they follow Jesus. Along the way, Jesus is doing miracles. He's healing people. There's a guy with leprosy and he reaches out and he touches him and he heals that guy. So news travels, doesn't it? So they, word starts traveling. People are starting to figure this whole thing out. They're saying, who is this Jesus? And he's starting to get a following. And he's getting a following from two different groups. The church group, 
the religious leaders are starting to follow him. And then you have this other group on the side, tax collectors and sinners. And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail of what that actually looks like because we hit that pretty hard two weeks ago. You can go online and check out that sermon two weeks ago, uh, The Prodigal Son. But you've got two distinct groups. And they're both starting to follow Jesus. And both have questions. And both want to learn. And this is where we pick up our story. So go Luke chapter 5, verse 27. If you're there, say, I'm there. Well, that was really good. Anyone need more time? Yeah, you don't want to speak up and be like, I do. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to speak up. I get it, I get it. So here we go. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Just like Peter, James, and John. So real quick, I'm going to give you point number one right away in your notes. It's simply this. Following Jesus requires leaving something behind. Following Jesus requires leaving something behind. These four individuals left everything behind. It starts with leaving something behind. So if you're going to start all over following Jesus, think for a moment, think for a moment. Where would you begin? Well, you take your old life and you would start by leaving something behind behind. Levi got up and left his tax collector booth. He left his business behind. Maybe for you, it's certain relationships. Maybe it's, I I don't know, maybe it's certain addictions, certain ways of thinking. Maybe it's uh, some anger. I, I don't know what it is, but the good news is you know what it is, don't you? I got a lot of feedback on if people are there at the Bible verse. And then I asked the question, if you know what it was, and I got nothing. I'm going to interpret that as, yeah, you know, You know exactly what it is. You get the idea that Jesus loves and accepts you for who you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You ask the people that have followed Jesus 10, 20, 30 years, they're not the same person they were when they started. Because you don't make it that long, do you? If you stay the exact same person you are today, and today is the first day you follow Jesus, you you won't make it. You'll leave. You'll unfollow. There has to be a change. You have to leave something. You can't carry all of your old stuff with you. And what I have seen over and over and what I have done over and over and over in my life is I come to the foot of the cross and I lay down my burdens, my sins, my addictions, my mistakes, my old ways of thinking, and I leave them all at Jesus' feet. And I say, Lord, would you take them? I'm done. It's heavy. I'm done. And he does. And then I take a step back and I go, oh, yeah, this one. Oh, I'm going to take a couple of these too. And then I keep going. You have to leave something. Some of you have been praying and praying and praying, asking Jesus to take something from you. I I think, I think maybe if I could be so bold, it's time for you to stop praying that prayer and for you to leave something. For you to do it. Instead of just asking the Lord to just remove it. Partner with him in that process. See, Jesus for everyone. You can come to Jesus with everything. Levi is at the tax collector's booth. He wasn't even pursuing Jesus. Jesus is walking by and he says, you, you come follow me. And he does. And he leaves something behind. 
But there's a process in this, isn't there? If, if you're like me, you start leaving some stuff behind, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? This is a process. And it's good that it's a process because Jesus loves us way too much to expect the change immediately. But you do have to start the change. He'll work with us. He's patient with us. He loves us. That's why we pray those prayers. Lord, would you help me? I'm struggling. This is difficult. And he goes, I know. That's why I've placed people in your life. That's why, that's why I gave you the church. You don't have to do this alone. I will be here to help you, and the church will be here to help you. And we can do this thing together. Man, if I was going to start following Jesus all over again, if I was going to start, it would start by leaving, leaving things behind that I really thought I needed that I didn't. Crutches, relationships, certain coping mechanisms. I, I, I don't need those things. Habits that brought me joy in the beginning, but further along the line, you keep doing them over and over, and they don't bring joy, they bring destruction. I would leave those and I would ask other people to come around me to ensure that I don't pick those things up again. Let's keep going. Verse 29. Then Levi, I love this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Jesus comes, he says, Levi, come follow me. And then they go to his house, and they don't have like a dinner party or a dinner. They have a banquet, which means Levi's got money. He lives a very comfortable life, and he threw a big party. And the reason he was able to throw big parties because he's a tax collector. A brief, brief, very short overview. Uh, they were Jewish people who collected taxes for Rome. So Jews would go to other Jews and say, Rome wants 10%. I actually, we're going to take 20. They would pocket 10 and then give the other 10 over to Rome. And they got rich off of the backs of their own people. That's just one example. There are tons. So they didn't like each other. But if you're an outcast from society, what do you do? You start looking at other outcasts of society, don't you? Because birds of a feather, they flock together. I think that's what that phrase means. I don't really know. Not much of a bird watcher. But you get the idea, right? We all hang around with people who like us and think like us. They're like us. We all hang around with each other. So if you're a tax collector and all of your society has disowned you, what do you do? You follow other people who have been disowned by society, don't you? You can see this so clearly on the high school campus. Certain groups of people will hang out and that type of person is not welcome in this circle. By the way, you can see that at the church as well. We're just, we're just not going to talk about that for this Sunday. But you get the idea. You can see all this stuff happening right now. So all the tax collectors are coming together, and they all have money, and they invite everybody over. Notice Levi doesn't invite his church friends or his religious friends. He invites the tax collectors and the sinners, doesn't he? Doesn't he? And Jesus is there right in the middle of it. Like they're all getting along. All of them. So Levi, check this out. This is so important. Levi didn't get rid of his un-Jesus following friends, did he? And just go hang out with Peter, James, and John. This, this blew my mind when I read this. He didn't do that. That's what I was taught to do in high school. Now that you follow Jesus, you need to get rid of those people. And you need to hang out with your Christian friends. Otherwise, those people are going to pull you back. 
And Levi didn't do that. He said, I found Jesus. We're going to throw a party. And you guys, come. Come to the party. And they showed up. And they had a good time. Maybe this isn't your experience. I've just shared. This has been my experience. And I've had to unlearn some things. So if I was going to follow Jesus again, man, I wouldn't disown my friends who didn't follow Jesus. I'd invite them to the party. Because they need, they need Jesus. Now, just think for a minute. This isn't just a fairy tale. This is a real story. So Peter, James, and John, they're walking with Jesus. Jesus goes by the tax collector's booth. And everyone, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time in the first century, are like, boo, hiss, ah, we don't like them. They're the bad guys. And Jesus says, Levi, you come follow me. And he does. And they go. And Peter, James, and John are with Jesus at Levi's house. And Levi brings his tax collector friends over to the house. Peter, James, and John are probably with their tax guy. Levi's probably their tax guy. And maybe if it isn't Levi, definitely one of Levi's friends are at the house. That's so awkward. You look at somebody, they're looking at you, and you know that they ripped you off, and they know that they ripped you off, and you're all following Jesus. We got, you know, mind your P's and Q's at the dinner table, children. Like, come on, they have to play well in the sandbox together. I just imagine Peter going, that's fine. He can follow, but he's got to stay in the back. And I'm certainly, we're not bunkmates. No way. He's going to stay in the back. He's going to have his own tent. There's no, there's no way. Because for years, this guy has been ripping us off. And Jesus goes, nope, we're all going to play together in the sandbox. We're all going to learn how to share, how to get along. There's a lesson here about Christians and non-Christians commingling together. There's something about the holy huddle that Jesus didn't really spend a lot of time in. And the people in the holy huddle are are picking up on this. They're asking questions. Why does Jesus do this? But let's, let's keep going. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners with those people? Because eating and drinking, it's not just sharing a meal, but it's uh, it's letting the world know that I, I accept you. I'm okay with being associated with you. That's not threatening to me. When people speak of you, my name will most likely be mentioned, and and I'm okay with that. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. Now think about it. They're at the dinner table. They're all hanging out. And Jesus hears this. Why do you eat and drink with those people? And he goes, It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. These guys, and I imagine Levi and friends going, like, the music stops. You know what I mean? The record scratch, like, the music stops. It's quiet. You can hear a pin drop. And I imagine Levi and all of his friends looking at Jesus and going, you know what, Jesus? That's offensive. But you're right. We are sick. And then a guy in the back goes, we're all sick. And they're, you know, cheers. And the music turns back on. And they keep partying and having a good time. Yeah, we're sick. And they're high-fiving each other. But at least they know it. 
why do you hang out with those people? And Jesus goes, I came for those people because they're sick. Now, if you're sick and you know you're sick, you need a, help me out, you need a doctor? You need a doctor. If you're healthy, things are fine. You're doing great. Do you, do you need a doctor? No. You go out of convenience to check up. I'm just going to check things out, make sure we're good. You just keep going. Jesus goes, I, I came for the sick, the people that are messed up, the people that need help. What he's saying to the Pharisees is, you guys are so self-righteous. You can't even see any sin that's going on in your life at all. You don't, you don't need me. At least that's what you've shown to the world. You don't need me. You, you've got it. You're the religious elite. You got it. You're good. But these people, the sick ones, they're all high-fiving. Yeah, we're sick. We're sick. The music's going. They know it. And they go, that's offensive. But it's right. That's offensive but it's right. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to, what's that last word? Help me out. Come on. Those of you online, type furiously. What's that word? Repent. Repent is is literally like you're going this way and you repent and you start walking a different way. It's a beautiful thing. But when when you're sick, it's easy to repent. Repent. Because you're going one way and you're like, this is not working. And, and you repent and you go the other way. When you're healthy, it's very difficult to repent. Why? Because you're going the right way. You're healthy. It's very, very difficult to do. I, I can think back uh, when I was in college and I was working out my faith, trying to figure out how, what do I believe and how do I actually put this in action? Uh, and I can remember reading passages like this and going, okay, Jesus, Jesus hung out with, with those people, with the sinners, with the tax collectors. He was at the party. Levi was having a party. I need to go to the party. I know what happens at a party. I know what happens at that party. They're celebrating. They're drinking too much. They're celebrating too hard. They're having a good time. The music's loud. It's probably not the music they play in church. It's probably some different type of music. I know what's going on there. I need to go to that party. I need to be a witness. I, I, need, I need to, in, in that that secular, heathen, that, that horrible, sinful, dirty place, I need to be there and show God's glory. I need to shine a light. I need to be an example. A couple things I realized when I would go to those parties to uh, try and represent Jesus. Um, I'm not Jesus. I don't know about you, but have you ever, you ever caved into temptation? No one? Couple people online, they're like, amen, brother, preach it. Yeah, absolutely. Parking lot. I'm not as strong as Jesus, so I got roped in. Second thing I realized at those parties, they didn't know they were sick. Third thing I realized, I started telling them they were sick. Ooh, they did not like that. They didn't think they were sick at all. There's a difference between my experience in college and going to those parties and trying to show people Jesus versus the first century, specifically Levi. They, they, knew, they knew they were sick. They needed a doctor. Friends, church family, we need to be very wise and discerning. When we say Jesus for everyone, we need to make sure that message is delivered in love. 
Because we can look at people who do not follow Jesus and say, you're, you're sick. You can see it. And the reason we can see it is because we were those people. We were deathly sick, weren't we? We were. And then we found the great doctor. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the healing and the transformation has begun. But we have to be very, very wise and discerning on how and when we tell people they are sick. Because we have a world that is in fact sick and they need Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. But what I love about this story is that Jesus is right in the middle of that party. And the people that look nothing like Jesus... They like that he's there. And from this story and other stories in the gospel, I don't think Jesus is insecure. In fact, he's not worried about what the Pharisees are, are thinking or saying about him. He's, he's right there. He's loving those people. And I think that's so beautiful. And that would be my prayer for the church, is that we would go out and people who look nothing like us who don't know Jesus, who don't know they need Jesus, who don't want Jesus, would be so comfortable. And in fact, they would invite us to the party so that we would be around people. And, and we would have the relational equity to look people in the eyes, to look at our friends, our coworkers, our family members and say, you're sick and you need the doctor. And would, would we have such integrity when we do it? Would we share our stories and say, I was sick too. And in fact, I still kind of do get sick if I'm honest. But I found Jesus. And this has changed. My finances have changed. My marriage has changed. My outlook on life has changed. That's my, that's my prayer for us, for the church, is that we would be those people. We would get invited to the party and we would share the best news there ever was. So number two in your notes, the gospel is good news for the sick who admit it. And it's bad news for the healthy who won't change. Because the gospel is offensive. By definition, <laughs> you're broken and you need Jesus to make you whole again. If you don't think you're broken, that's offensive, isn't it? But for all of us here, we could all raise our hands. Those of us who follow Jesus, we say, yeah, I'm broken. I remember those days. But by the grace of God, I've moved forward. I've moved on. Now, this isn't fitting the paradigm of the Pharisees and the leaders and teachers of the law and all the religious folk. This, it's not working. They start talking about righteousness and what it means and should you be at a party, should you not be at a party, how do we do this thing? Verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and they pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, your followers, Peter, James, and John, but yours go on eating and drinking. Now, fasting and praying go hand in hand. When you fast, you pray. When you fast, you pray. Often when you prayed, you ended up fasting as well. Now, I, to my knowledge, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, I think there's only one commandment in Scripture, one day that you are commanded to fast, and that's Yom Kippur. Certainly, there were other cultural traditions and celebrations and other reasons to fast, like if a king um, got killed in battle or if someone in your family was sick or if you even wanted to try and manipulate or win over God and get like an extra helping of grace. Not only would you pray, but you would attach fasting to this. 
So the Pharisees are going, hey, we do this all the time. And a lot of rabbis in the first century would teach their people fasting needs to be a regular part of your practice. So most people would fast at least once a month. Uh, If you were great, you would fast once a week. The Pharisees were phenomenal. So they would do it twice a week. They would say, hey, we're fasting. Look how righteous we are. We're doing these things. We're over here in this camp, in the righteous in the good camp. But you, you're eating and drinking, which means you're not praying either. That's not holy. That's of the world. And Jesus' response, it's so good. It's so good. Jesus answered them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He gives them an example of a wedding. Look, the bride and groom show up. What's there going to be? There's food at a wedding, isn't there? Oh, come on. There's food at a wedding, isn't there? What, what do they do after the ceremony? Everyone gathers around to see them cut the... It's, it's built into the process. Now, that's one day. This context, seven days for a wedding celebration. There's lots of food. There's lots of cake. There's lots of water being turned into wine. They're having a good time celebrating. And Jesus is pointing out an example. He says, when the bride is there, when the groom is there, when the wedding's all firing on all cylinders, what do you do? You celebrate. He's hinting. He's like, the Messiah. When the Messiah is here with the people. This is not a time for mourning. No one is sick. No one is dying. You are in the presence of God. We should celebrate and catch the picture. The godless secular tax collectors and sinners are celebrating in the presence of Jesus. The religious leaders of the day are upset because their man-made rules of fasting twice a week are not. No one's following them. And certainly if Jesus was God, he'd be fasting more than twice a week, wouldn't he? It's just, they don't know what to do with this thing. And so Jesus, he's so good. He hits them with another one, right? This time he leans in for the women. He gets all of them on page. He says, okay, verse 36, he tells them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. And immediately all the ladies in the audience are like, oh, no, 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 you would never do that. Could you imagine doing that? No. Otherwise... They will have torn the new garment, that's worthless, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. Why? That baby's already shrunk. When you wash it again, that new patch, that's going to shrink. It's going to pull all the fibers. You're going to rip it again. You're going to start all over again. And all the women in the audience who have sewn patched and fixed their husband's clothes or, you know, the knees bust out so they got to fix them, right? This is first century. Not that guys don't sew, but I'm imagining in first century there's probably more women than men. Please don't send me any emails on that. My email address is kurt.link. I'm just kidding. But I mean, come on, get in the picture. And all the women are going, that's exactly, yeah, you would never do that. Only a fool would do that. And Jesus is sensing he's, mis- he's losing the men. He's losing the men. They're tuning out. So he goes, uh, those of you in your garage, if you set up like a microbrewing thing and you pour some wine and you're doing that on the side, you know what you do. And immediately the men are like, microbrew, wine, what? Kind of like now. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. 
Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. And the guy's like, mm, absolutely, yeah, he's good. He knows, he knows. The wine will run out of the wineskins and it'll be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Because if you get new wine, you put it in the old. The old has already expanded from the previous batch, batch during formation. It's gone to its limit. It can't hold anything else. You get new wine, you put it in the old one, that baby's just going to burst. It can't hold. It can't contain the new and he addressed the crowd, he addressed the women, he addressed the men, and he's saying, I will not fit into the old way of doing things. And neither will Levi. He wasn't born with the privilege, he wasn't born into the family, he doesn't have the occupation that you have. He will not fit in this paradigm. And I love you people that are trying to work this system, but it is corrupt and it does not work. And it doesn't lead to love and righteousness towards God. It leads to self-righteousness. I've come for the sick because this guy, his old way is not working. He needs something new. And it is found in Jesus Christ. And I love this story. Because the Pharisees, it's not working in their system. They've created all these rules and regulations. If the, if, if the sin is uh, uh, don't get drunk, what do they do? They built a fence around it and said, don't drink wine at all. Which is really hard to do in the first century, by the way. They've built all these systems and all these things that no one can live by, that nobody can follow. And they look at people like Levi and they, you're a tax collector. And I love, I love Jesus for this reason because he goes into this segment of society with all of these people. And what does he do? He grabs them, he elevates them, he lifts them up to proper standing. And he says, the God of all creation loves you. Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever, you ever had someone tell you you're unworthy? That's a whole new level. And Jesus goes, no, we're going to bypass all you righteous, rule-following, man-made tradition people. And we're going to go here. And we're going to elevate these people. We're going to love these people. We're going to show them how to follow Jesus. That's exactly what he does. And I love this. Now he calls Levi. Levi gets up and follows him. He called Peter, James, and John earlier. They get up, they follow him. They've left something behind. And so number three in your notes is, is simply this. Jesus doesn't settle for part of your life. He wants all of it. Oh, he's patient. But make no mistake. He wants all of it. And he, he will not take it. He will wait for you to go and give it to him. But he doesn't want just a slice of your life. He wants all of it. It doesn't matter how messed up your life is. It doesn't matter how complicated it is. It doesn't matter how much sin is in your life. He wants all of it because he wants to redeem it. He wants to transform it. Because friends, you and I, we are all sick and all in need of the great doctor, aren't we? And he doesn't want to just take your finances. He doesn't want to just take your Sunday morning. He, he wants the pie chart of your life. He wants the whole thing. And if I could start over in my relationship with Jesus, now again, I don't need to, because grace abounds. 
Not because I'm good, but because he's good, right? I don't need to, but I'm just saying if I could, I think I would start more by jumping straight into the deep end and and figuring it out instead of tiptoeing and baby stepping my way into it. Why? Because after following Jesus all these years, I've learned that God is so good and he's so trustworthy. You understand that Levi didn't have years and years and years of growing up in Jesus culture and church culture? Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And Levi goes, I've heard about you. Let's go. Peter, James, and John, they had an encounter with Christ. They pick up and they go. And yeah, they had to learn some stuff along the way, but they got up. They left family. They left businesses. They went and they followed Jesus. And for me, if I could do this all over again, I think I would get up and I would go. So the question for you and the question for me is what, if you follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. What have you not left behind? Have you given him every aspect of your life or are there one or two things you're still holding on to? What haven't you given to Jesus? I'm gonna list a couple because it got real quiet. First one is anger. Have you, have you confessed that? Have you given that over to God? Have you left that behind and pursued a new life of joy, of peace? Maybe there's an element of betrayal that's happened in your life and you just, you, you, you keep carrying it. And that leads into the anger, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe it's, it's your lust, it's your pride, your sexuality. Maybe it's your finances, uh, the way you have done and continue to do relationships or your marriage. Maybe it's how you view your time. Maybe it's a set of hobbies, extracurricular activities. What, what are you still holding on to that Jesus is going, hey, if, if you let that go, it's a lot easier to follow. It's not as heavy. It's not as heavy. So I I simply want to wrap up by leading us in a prayer. And it's one that, um, like Kurt said, man, the gospel message is so simple. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then I'm going to give you about 30 seconds on your own to confess and lay down that thing that you've been carrying. That thing like Levi, we should just leave that. We should just set that thing down and keep moving on. But, But you know what it is. I know what mine is. And as a church, this is so beautiful. When, when the world, when, when everyone of Jesus for everyone, when everyone watches the way that we walk in peace and love and joy, they're going to take note. And they're going to wonder what we have that they don't. And that is the whole point of this series. So bow your heads with me and let's come before our Lord and Savior. Jesus, as a church family, we come before you and we just say thank you. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for leading us into a new life. I thank you for the story of Levi and how you pursued him and the pressure from the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, Lord, it didn't impact Jesus. It didn't change him. He kept pursuing the sick. 
And so, Lord, in front of the church and everyone online and whoever can hear my voice in the parking lot, I come before you and I acknowledge that I am sick and in need of a doctor. So, Lord, today I repent. And our church repents, Father. You've called us to follow and we have been bringing and carrying and holding on to things that we were supposed to leave behind. And so, Father, today, this Sunday morning, in the next 30 seconds or so, hear the voice of your people as we confess it, we repent of it, and we leave it so we can follow you. Jesus, this is the cry of your people. Lord, would would we be like Jesus? Would we go out into the world? Would we find people? Would we develop relationships with people? And would we invite them to follow you? And Lord, would we wrap our arms around them and bring them with us on the journey that you've taken each and every one of us here today? God, our, our world is sick. And we need the great physician. May this church, may this group of people always be about pointing others to you so that we can find healing and transformation, salvation. And Father, may we walk with you never looking back. Father, you are so good. This week, Would you bring people, would we have divine appointments with people, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, whoever it is, Father. May we have conversations that lead people to dropping their stuff and following you. May we never become self-righteous. May we always remember that we need you. We pray all these things. And as a church online, in the parking lot, and scattered throughout, We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.